everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, and this is a show where we celebrate more than 70 years of the world's finest heroes by looking at Superman and Batman team-ups from throughout the years. Now, normally, these are chosen at random, and mostly chosen from the pages of World's Finest Comics. But today's tale is neither of those things. But don't worry, because it's still a landmark team-up between the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight, released exactly 20 years ago this week. Before we get into that, though, I have to pause, because with me today is a very special guest. So it is my great pleasure to welcome back to the show, Mr. Sean Engel. Hey, thanks for having me back, Michael. Uh, you know, this time out, it's uh, not Bob Haney zaniness, so I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, last time Sean was on the show, we looked at a Bob Haney-written story, and while we both might have had small problems with the story, it was still completely awesome because it's a Bob Haney story. But this time out, we're going to be getting into a, a completely different kind of awesome because mm-hmm. this episode, we're going to be looking at Batman Adventures number 25, which features not only the first DC Animated Universe appearance of Superman, but his first teaming with Batman, even if it both were later disavowed when Superman made his actual first appearance with the debut of Superman the Animated Series. According to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, the issue was released September 13, 1994, nearly two years to the day after the debut of Batman the Animated Series, in nearly two years to the day before the debut of Superman, the animated series. Now, I gotta say, I didn't buy this when it came out. Um, I was aware of it, but I wasn't buying a lot of comics then due to the fact that I was pretty much still a kid, and kids are poor. So I mostly stuck to the four main Superman titles. Um, I got my copy sometime later from the back issue bins, and... You know, I'm not someone who's extremely picky about the condition of comics, but when I buy modern back issues, I generally try to get ones that are in decent shape, because why not? Um, And I don't remember the exact shape that this was in when I got it. I have a feeling it was in pretty decent shape. But now, well, it's it's definitely showing signs of being a well-read and and much-loved comic. Uh, the, The spine is cracking a little bit, the staples aren't as tight as they used to be, and the edges are, are somewhat dinged, but I wouldn't trade it in for pretty much anything. It's got an early November 1994 cover date and 48 pages for the price of $2.50. And our cover is penciled by the late, great Mike Perrobeck and inked by Rich Burchette and features Superman and Batman standing shoulder to shoulder, ready to kick some bad guy butt. Uh, what do you think of this cover, Sean? I love this cover. This is this this is completely iconic. Mike Parabek is one of these artists that I didn't discover until unfortunately late in the game. I caught him. He did a sort of a fill-in issue over at Guy Gardner Warrior, which was a hilariously fun issue where they had the standard sort of uh very 90s uh very image looking Mike uh, or was it Mark Campos art paralleled with a very cartoony Guy Gardner art which basically depicted had Mike Parabek depicting Guy Gardner in a sort of Batman the Animated Series type style. Mm-hmm. And I just love this. I also love the fact that 
the characters, although a lot of times they seem to be drawn very similar, Paramek, even in his very clean, simple style, manages to make the characters distinct. Not only from, of course, Superman not being cowled and you seeing his hair, which we he does have a lovely, lovely amount of hair. <laughs> but he's Fabio hair. It is it is so Fabio, but he's you can tell he's a bit more muscular. His arms look a bit thicker. His legs look a bit thicker. Batman looks more lithe. The characters look absolutely distinct and you can tell who is who. It's it's not super detailed. It is sort of cartoony, but it's just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love this cover. Yeah, I agree. It's. It's amazing, is, is the word I used in my notes. Um, I loved it when I first laid eyes on it back in 1994, and I still love it. Mm. Um, even though this isn't quite what Superman would look like in his cartoon, and, and Batman got a design tweak too later on, I would not say no to a full-size poster of this hanging on my wall. Oh, no. This would be awesome. In fact, you know, I... I know it was... You said it in your opening it was two years before the Superman the Animated Series came out. I would have mind if they would have taken this design and ran with it for the Superman, the animated mm-hmm. series, or if they would have done a story much like this, that could have been sort of a throwback story. Mm. But, uh, but, uh, regardless, the, the, the artwork here is phenomenal. Yes. It's a very simple cover, but sometimes you don't need anything but that. And when you also consider that, you know, Batman, the animated series was already pretty popular at this point. And my guess is people were clamoring to see other DC characters introduced. So, you know, the, the, the cover doesn't dance around it. It's, it's Superman and it's Batman. Mm-hmm. Any questions? Yeah, that's all you need. Yes. Yes. I don't care. Take my money. I will buy this book. <laughs> yeah. And before we move on, you referenced the, the Guy Gardner issue. That actually came out a month before this. So it's okay. the exact same time period, which I found interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but credit turning inside, credits for our 30-page story. Our Kelly Puckett writer, Mike Perrobeck penciler, Rick Burchette inker, Rick Taylor colorist, Rich- Richard Starkings in comic craft lettering, Darren Vincenzo assistant editor, Scott Peterson editor, Batman created by Bob Kane, and of course the uncredited Bill Finger. And the story is titled Super Friends. Act 1, tick, tick, tick. While criminals disguised as waiters place a bomb under a table, Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor talk with U.S. General Turgeson about preparing proposals for the military. The two businessmen exchange some rivalrous banter while Clark Kent is on the scene covering the story for the Daily Planet. Soon, Bruce notices the waitstaff acting nervous, while Clark uses super hearing and x-ray vision to detect the bomb. Both men make excuses to take their leave, and soon, the Man of Steel rockets through the room, grabbing the bomb and flying it into orbit. Outside, the criminals try to make a getaway, unknowingly pursued by Batman. The Dark Knight leaps atop the car, pulling two thugs through the back windshield, while the other two continue their escape. But soon, the fleeing thugs feel the agony of defeat, or the foot, as it were, as a red-booted foot slams through their engine block, stopping the car cold. While the heroes secure the criminals, their attention again is diverted when another mighty rumble shakes the city. Act 2. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry Zeus At police headquarters, Superman and Batman listen in 
as Commissioner Gordon, Luthor, Turgeson, and several officers review a video with Maxi Zeus claiming responsibility for the bombings and threatening to destroy Gotham City by earthquake if his demands aren't met by midnight. Batman figures the quake will be triggered by more bombs, and our heroes attempt to try and find where they're buried. Despite Superman's numerous abilities, the heroes are unsuccessful in finding the explosives, and Batman suggests they try a different approach. Elsewhere, Luthor unveils the LexCore Hunter Seekers, an army of high-tech battle robots controlled by a mobile command center, which he proposes to use to find the bombs and save Gotham City. Meanwhile, Superman and Batman track down Zeus's henchmen at their downtown hideout, and because criminals are a superstitious and cowardly but not stupid lot, they quickly give up their boss's location. Act 3. The Gods Must Be Crazy As Zeus rants and raves, Superman and Batman bust into his hideout, stealing the supervillain's scepter, which Batman believes will allow them to track the location of the bombs. But before they can do so, Luthor's robots crash through the wall, firing on Superman. Luthor explains to the general that the robots must have mistook Superman for Zeus, but meanwhile, back at Zeus's lair, the fight is on. As Zeus's henchmen scramble to retrieve the scepter, Superman fends off Luthor's battle droids, while Batman takes on the thugs. After a few pages of really awesome fighting, our heroes emerge victorious and apprehend Zeus as he unsuccessfully attempts to call on Brother Hephaestus for help. Elsewhere, General Turgeson informs Luthor he's accepted the proposal to use the hunter-seekers on the battlefield. However, after Batman confronts Luthor, revealing that he knows it was Luthor that was Zeus's brother Hephaestus and has supplied the supervillain with the bombs, Batman uses the evidence to force Luthor to withdraw his proposal in the two-part ways. Later, Batman and Superman meet on a rooftop. Batman tells Superman that Wayne Tech also is withdrawing their weapons proposal and the two discuss their different approaches. Superman then flies off, with both men knowing the fact that, while their methods might vary, one thing they do have in common is friendship. The end. Oh my god. Very, very fun story. Oh, this this is just such a joy to read. Yes. It's so visually beautiful. Parabek's art is just amazing, and Puckett just does... He captures the best of what you can take from the world's finest comics and puts it in this. And there are so many moments in this book that I just had a giant grin on my face while I was Uh reading it. It's just, it's just amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a fun, simple team up that allowed Puckett to showcase not only what makes both characters great on their own, but why they work well together. And it's not reliant on any continuity, but you still feel the iconic, characterizations of both heroes shining through Mm -hmm. well and i think them taking uh characters from both of the both the characters villains Mm -hmm. and bringing them into this book also helps with that yes there is so much so much to like in this book yeah and i'm not saying it's the greatest team up between the two characters or, or even the greatest in the the dc animated universe but it's just an entertaining and fun read and, and one that I think can be enjoyed by both kids and adults alike, which is something that's a hallmark of the of, of all the DCAU stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they capture it perfectly well. The, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say when I 
gave a description of this comic is this is fun. Yeah. It's it's fun for not only kids. I could give this to my daughters. I could give this to my younger daughter. She would read this and just she would just lap it up. She's like Superman and Batman are so cool. Yeah. I can sit and read this and look at the characterizations and you know relate it to what was going on in the den, then DC universe and my knowledge of the bastard DC universe. I can enjoy it as well. So yes, it it, it is a perfect book for all ages, basically. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the page by page, I just want to say a few words about the character designs. Uh, since we're still like I said, two years away from the premiere of Superman the Animated Series, obviously the character designs here don't match what we'd eventually get in that series. Um, instead, they more or less lift from what was in the main books at the time. Uh, Luthor is perhaps the strangest of all, because instead of the iconic middle-aged bald Luthor, we get the young, bearded Lex Luthor 2 version with the flowing red hair. Uh, He's never called Lex Jr. or Lex the Second or anything, but that's who he resembles. Yeah, I didn't really mind that. and I kind of like that since the continuity was bringing in more from the DC comics rather than the DC animated shows, Mm -hmm. that they'd use the characterizations or the looks of the characters from the comics more than they would from the animated shows. I I don't, like I said at the beginning, I don't mind the fact that Superman has the longer hair, and I especially enjoyed the fact that Lex Luthor here was the redheaded, you know, Lex Luthor II, Mm. technically. Well, Spoilers, we know he's not really Lex Luthor. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and Clark has a ponytail. Mm hmm. Because. <laughs> yeah, because it's, the 90s. It's the 90s, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, to me, it, it feels a little strange to have these very of the time comic book versions carry over into the animated look because they were so. I don't know, that, that just so rarely happens despite all the temporary changes that these characters go through, but, you know. The pareback art is so so wonderful throughout the entire issue that I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about it. Well, and I guess, yeah, you do have a point there that it does kind of – because the idea behind the Batman, the animated series, and this book which spun out of it was the Batman from that was supposed to have sort of a timeless feel. Mm-hmm. If you looked at the – the machinery and the cars and the vehicles it had a sort of you know 1950s or a 1940s type feel but it had very technical computers and things so you would think that they would go for a very timeless feel when bringing in characters like Lex Luthor and Superman they'd give them the sort of standard look but know that the fact that they pulled from the 90s look and brought that into it is kind of interesting I'll give you that uh, so if you're ready, we'll go ahead and get into the page by page. Let's do it. Uh, do you have anything on page one? Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say I do like that they start the story in media res, but mm-hmm. again, I'm uh, and I'm kind of disappointed that Siegel and Schuster didn't get a credit here. You know, when Bob Kane does, and I'm I'm assuming since this is specifically a Batman book. And Superman is just sort of guest starring that they didn't necessarily need to do that, but it would have been nice just to yeah. a little mention. Yeah. Yeah. I think around this time they were less like DC was less um, likely to credit creators of characters who were making guest appearances. That makes sense. They, they've gotten better at it, you know, as time has gone on, but and now they have to put uh, the Seagull and Shoes credit on anything Superman appears in, but. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because legality. Yeah. Uh, Page two 
it, it wasn't explicitly stated where this opening scene is taking place, but I have to assume that it's stately Wayne Manor, as in the top panel, we get a cameo by Alfred Pennyworth. Mm-hmm. And I also like, you know, in the second panel, you, you, you don't really see who's holding the watch mm-hmm. until until you get to the next page. But the shadow, you, uh, you can tell after you get to the next page, it's Lex Luthor and he's checking his watch for something. So it's setting up that, you know, Luthor has some machinations behind this. Yes. I also like in the second panel that the character that Bruce is talking to is uh, named General Buck Turgidson. Well, I'm not certain if his first name is Buck, but it's obviously <laughs> – a relationship to or a uh, reference to Buck Turgeson from Dr. Strangelove, the character who was played by George C. Scott. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, it's uh, he was the sort of manic, you know, mm-hmm. there's no fighting in the war room yes. character from uh, from uh, Dr. Strangelove. So that, that's a nice little that's a nice little uh, callback or reference there. Good call. Uh, moving on to page three, we have Lex and Bruce meeting for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Bruce notes that he and Clark had met before, and Batman and Superman know each other's identities. So, really, continuity-wise, this would be very much at home in the main books at the time. Especially if you look at this as Lex II, because I don't think he and Bruce had ever met by this point, or if they ever really met. But, and it's interesting that they'd go that route with it, um, you know, telling what is ostensibly a post-crisis story within the animated feel rather than purposely introducing Superman and his cast into this universe. Well, I think the way you can look at it is you can either look at it as being post-crisis where Superman and Batman's first meeting was the Dark Knight over Metropolis story, or you can kind of take it as it's just akin to the entire pre-crisis thing where they had team-ups with uh, in World's Finest as well. So I think... I think you could take it either way, but I, the way I looked at it was it was more of a post-crisis thing, especially since you've got the the specific looks of Lex Luthor and Superman in their very 90s look. So, you know, it, it's – but it's just great to see yeah. Lex Luthor here, even if it is the, the red-haired, you know, bearded Lex Luthor. And uh, he's he's just a perfect – He's also perfect for the role as a competitor for this military contract that both Wayne Tech and Luthor Corps or Luthor's trying to get for, you know, to into this military guy. So I mm-hmm. like there there is a purpose for him being here. It's yeah. it's well set up. Yeah, yeah. Playing up the business rivalry between Lex and Bruce is is a perfect way to to draw all three of them into the conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to page four. Mike Parabek's art, and we're probably going to spend a lot of time, just so you folks are aware, gushing about Mike Parabek this episode, but mm-hmm. it, the art is just so amazingly strong because you can strip all the dialogue from this page. And actually, if you look, you can do it to the entire first act of the book, but if you, you can strip away all the dialogue here and not lose a beat from the story because he was an absolute master in storytelling and communicating exactly what's going on through the art alone. Mm-hmm. And Every, everything you need to know from this page is gleaned from the art. You don't even need the dialogue. And the thing is, with his very simplistic, clean look, it's done by little subtle things. In that first panel, you see Bruce turning his head, and you see a slightly raised eyebrow. Mm-hmm. It's it's a perfect uh, you know signal that he's seeing that something going wrong. And you know the uh, the waiter or the faux waiter, you know, pulling at his tie and kind of sweating. The 
and Bruce noticed that and just the little word balloons of uh, Clark hearing the tick tick noises and him getting the sort of raised eyebrow in that third panel. It's all just so brilliantly, you know, set up that yes, wordless, this could have been easily understood by the reader. In fact, you know, the speech dialogue is completely uh it's, it has really nothing to do with you know what's going on. It's uh, Bruce and uh, Clark talking about the nature of what Wayne Tech and Luther Corps have to offer for this military contract. Right. Uh, Wayne Tech's is more surveillance and you know not as an obtrusive, while Luther Corps is very you know let's go in there and basically smash it with a hammer type uh, a, a type idea. It's just filling in. I'm not even sure if it's really the B plot, kind of the C plot, I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. Yes, Luther's uh, desire to create these giant robots, which we'll get to later, which yeah. is awesome as well. <laughs> uh, my next note kind of carries over to page five, but I like how both Bruce and Clark come to the same conclusion about that there's a, that there's a bomb, but, but do so completely independent of one another, even mm-hmm. though they're standing side by side. Yeah, there's there's no collusion between the two of them. They don't look at each other and go, we need to take care of this or give a subtle wink to each other. It's just they know something is going on and they because they are both heroes, they have to go and take care of it. And I love, you know, Superman just smashing to the floor and carrying that out. That is. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, On page five, too. That's a huge cigar that Turgeson. Yeah, that. That is, you know, that's like, you know, smoke two of those and you have lung cancer. That's that's how macho Turgidson is. He can smoke those and still be walking. Wow. Uh, my next note's over on page seven. Do you have anything before that? I have one on page six. Okay. Just, just to see <laughs> Superman throwing stuff into the sun. Yes. Because that's what I'm assuming he's doing. Yeah. Throwing stuff in the sun, if that doesn't make you smile, I don't know what will. And that final panel, that fourth panel there of Superman with his fist above his head flying about, that that brings up so much imagery from, like, Superman the movie. Yeah, It's just, oh, it's so glorious. I Again, yeah, we're going to sit here and gush for pretty much most of the show about Parabex art. But if there's anyone from this era of comics that deserves it. It's, I think it's Mike Perrobeck. Oh, so. definitely. Uh, page seven. How amazing is this action sequence? Oh, God, yes. It, it, it feels like something that would have played out on Batman animated series. Mm-hmm. But it's in print, and it works as a comic book. It doesn't feel like they were storyboarding a sequence for the show. No, it, it works. I will admit, I, I will say a little uh, Easter egg up here on uh, the first panel on page seven. The uh, street corner that the characters are at are at oh. Peterson and Vincenzo. Mm-hmm. So the, that's the uh, two editors for the book. But yeah, this is a great sequence here. Kind of unrealistic. You know, you look at the physics behind it. It's it's not going to work, but you don't care because yeah. it's Batman. It's Batman. It's and it's completely Batman. awesome. Mm-hmm. It is, especially moving on to page eight, him crashing through the window, using his momentum to force himself to the back window, all the while grabbing the two goons in the back seat and pulling them out of the back seat and, back seat and flipping them onto the ground. Oh, man, this is, you know, I completely don't care that this couldn't happen in a real 
situation that right. this is only something that could happen in comics or you know animation but it works perfectly here i love it oh and it leaves the driver and the the front seat passenger so flabbergasted that they don't even see superman right in their path and mm-hmm. superman responds by slamming his foot through the engine block oh god that's it's just, and of course you know momentum carries them out the uh yeah. the windscreen as well and superman catches them it's just such a great action sequence mm-hmm. it's wonderful uh, which takes us to page 10 and I liked Batman's little jibe at Superman here which and it, it, it sets up nicely when Superman returns the favor in a couple pages which I will talk more about when we get there mm-hmm. yeah the the sequence where he, you know after he goes you know wait you suspected you know that they'd planted a bomb and why'd you leave them to me to chase after me? He said, I knew you'd take care of it. You are Superman, aren't you? And I love this because Batman has a smile on his face. Yes. These two guys are friends. I so want Superman and Batman anytime that they're together to be friends. I don't want to be antagonist. I, you know, I don't know. This will be coming out in a couple of weeks. I'm certain, or if you haven't yet go to, uh, go to YouTube and search out how it should have ended and look for how it should have ended the DC Comic-Con Superman versus Batman panel. If you haven't seen that, go and watch it because it's basically them taking the scene that they played at uh, the San Diego Comic-Con, which had Batman in the sort of Dark Knight armor looking up at the bat signal and then Superman flashes with his glowy eyes of anger. And then they just break into the thing. Hey, you want to go get some coffee? That's what Superman and Batman should be doing. It's exactly. They should be friends. They should be smiling. They should be enjoying their company. And this captures it. Yeah. And and we won't spoil the uh, the final gag at the no, end of that. The final gag yeah. is hilarious as well. <laughs> so then we move into part two of the story, and it's kind of weird that they would divide this up into. Um, three chapters, and I know they would do that a lot in like the Silver and Bronze Age, when stories were more dense and, and longer. But you, you, you don't see it a lot in the, the modern comics. But that's it, not a, you know. A, I kind a of bad see, thing. I kind of see this being more like they're trying to script it like a like one of the one of the animated series, like an episode of Batman the animated series, because every you know. I, didn't even put that together. But you know, every you know, like eight or so minutes, they have a little commercial break, uh-huh. and you know, this could be exactly where the commercial would come in, and you come back and you see Maxi Zeus in all his ridiculous regality, <laughs> just coming in and demanding, you know, Vestal Virgins and you know, uh, uh, five hundred head of uh, oxen, and, and it's harp. just, <laughs> it's just, and Maxi Zeus, I, I had forgotten. Uh, for a while, because I don't, I need to go get the the box set of uh, Batman the Animated Series. I had forgotten that uh, Maxi Zeus appeared in the series until you know I went and did some research on this, and yeah, he appeared in one where at the end of it he was taken to Arkham and he saw all the various criminals collected there, like Joker. He thought was oh uh, the Roman god of tricksters, and uh, Two Face was um, another Roman god, and he equated all of these characters to different uh different deities that since he thought himself to be one and it's just great to see maxi zeus in this story yeah he he wouldn't have been my first choice for a villain for the story but you know on the bright side they didn't go with the obvious and it's part of what makes this just a nice simple team up because 
you don't have the um, the, the baggage, I guess, if, if I can use that word in a, in a positive manner, that would come with the Joker or even, you know, a Riddler or Two-Face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice to have, you know, because it's nice to have the primary villain behind all of this be Lex. Yes. If it's going to be a one, one-off story where you're bringing Superman in for just one time, it's nice to have Superman's main villain come in here and be sort of the antagonist. And it works well with the idea of both uh, Lex's company and Bruce's company competing to have this military contract. So I think it works better to have a sort of not really well sort of b-list batman villain to be sort of the person who's being manipulated by lex as we find out in the end of the book right um my next note is on i guess on page 12 Mm -hmm. it's just some really great dialogue uh puckett does some really great dialogue between uh batman and superman here yeah he really does and you know i didn't make any specific notes about that but he really captures the voice of both characters Mm -hmm. and again the fact that you know the dialogue is something that isn't antagonistic it's between friends and i love the the thing on the fourth panel where bruce says i just have uh, a problem (laughs) realizing that you're floating there and superman's retort is sometimes i have a problem with it as well or sometimes i sometimes have trouble ignoring it as well yeah it's just he has the voices of these characters down in a way that I think the characters should be. And it's great. I absolutely love that moment, the the moment in that final panel. Mm -hmm. Like you said, they've talked things out. They know what they're going to do. Batman's standing on a ledge and Superman notices something's wrong. And and Batman replies, you're perceptive. And I don't have a Kevin Conroy voice, but (laughs) you're perceptive. I'm having trouble ignoring the fact that you're defying gravity. And Superman just stretches out his hand with a smile and says, I have trouble ignoring it too sometimes. Let's go. And and this combined with the panel from page 10, I just, I just love this brotherly antagonism between the two. I mean, it's, it's no secret that I like Superman and Batman being friends, but that doesn't mean there can't be some, some mocking and teasing between them because friends do that. Oh, yeah. They come from different worldviews, so you should think that there should be uh, there should always be a bit of difference in their opinion, but mm-hmm. they're both heroes. They're both right. fighting for justice and truth, and if you even want to put it in the American way, they their methods may be different, but their primary goal is the same. Mm-hmm. So to have them, you know, to have them completely at odds at all time is just doing a disservice to the character. Indeed. And Puckett here and Paraback do a great job at making them different. But making them have the same goals. It's just so much fun. Yes. And it doesn't hurt that it, that it reminds me a little bit of the helicopter scene in Superman the movie where Lois Lane has just gone through what might be the most stunning and, and traumatic moment of her life. You know, she fell out of a helicopter, nearly died, and was rescued by a flying man. Mm-hmm. And he reassures her by just being calm, acting like it's no big deal. And making a joke. Mm-hmm. It's a masterful scene, and, and Superman takes the same kind of approach here by putting Batman at ease with humor, and I just, with a little bit of humor, and I just love it. Yeah, I didn't even make that correlation, but that's, if, if this was something that Puckett was make, was wanting to do in the book, it's brilliant because it, it totally works and it totally sells the character of Superman. Mm-hmm. 
my next note is probably one of my very few nitpicks that I'll have on the next okay. page. The at the top panel on page uh, fourteen or thirteen, I guess. What is Batman swinging from? <laughs> it's one of those things really where tall trees. <laughs> I was gonna say they're in the middle of this sort of. You know, you've got to assume a forest or possible forest because I only see two trees in the panel. I assumed it was something like Central Park. Okay, only, only in Gotham. That that might have that might have worked but because still, either way. It lo- it looks like there aren't many buildings around. Uh, there's only a couple of trees, and you can understand Superman flying in, and you want to have that sort of dynamic look for Batman, but he's swinging from who knows what. So that's just kind of a nitpick for me, but um, a minor nitpick. Yeah, it's 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 a fair nitpick, I think. My only note for page fourteen is one word: tunneling. <laughs> I agree. Oh, to watch Superman doing super feats <laughs> and not only doing super feats, but enjoying himself doing super yes. feats. That third panel there where he's tunneling to the ground with his fist in front of him and he's got that smile wow. on his face. Oh, I miss Superman smiling. And and look at that expression on Batman's face in the first panel. Uh-huh. Just like one eye cow. a little wider than the other kind of apprehensive not really sure what to make out of what just happened Mm -hmm. it's just and the thing is the image is is so small and it's so simple but it's just so perfectly done with Parabek's art style being just so crisp and clean that he can convey these feelings without having to make the art look just so flashy and you know elaborate it's it's again the genius of Mm Parabek it's a now I'm going to keep gushing. <laughs> That's all right. My next note's not till 16. Okay. Um, and that's to say that it's it's interesting to me that th- the similarities between this and their first meeting in the actual animated series, both of which involved Lex and Bruce and defense contracts and, and giant robots and Lex using those robots for duplicitous ends. And I doubt it was intentional. And even if it was, there's there are a lot of other differences that the, that the stories don't feel like they're you know ripping off one another. But mm-hmm. it's still interesting nonetheless. Mm-hmm. My my only comment was here. There's a little uh, Easter egg here as Lex is calling his uh, people about uh, deploying the robots. You see him dropping something in the trash can, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that'll come that'll come into play later on in the book as uh, Batman confronts him near the uh, end of the story. So, and it's very subtle and easy to miss. Mhm. And I had to I had to go back after, you know, after there was the mention of it at the end of the book to go, "Oh, yeah, that's what he was doing." So, um, over to page 20. Did you have anything before 20? No, except, okay. you know, giant giant robots. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, over to page 20, not to be kind of crass but after those first couple of panels i'm thinking these guys might need some clean shorts (laughs) yeah that's it's a great comedic beat you know as they're trying to they suddenly see this whoosh of you know air run through the building they run out the door and they encounter superman and scream and then they turn around and right behind them there's batman (laughs) oh that's yes if if you encounter these two people and you're of a uh, you're doing criminal activities yeah i think that you're going to be needing uh a change of pants, yes. And notice who does all the talking in this panel, or in this sequence. Mm-hmm. It's Batman. Batman. Yes. Yeah, all Superman has to do is stand there and look stern. <laughs> <laughs> he 
he doesn't have to say a word because he is the most awesome thing going on in this room. He's he's the dad in the situation, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, he's playing he's playing uh I guess he's kind of playing the bad cop, I guess. You know, su- you know, Batman's trying to be, look, here's what we're going to do. You're going to tell us this and Superman's like there. You better do it or well, uh you'll be the next thing that gets tossed into the sun. Yeah. And that's an interesting flip to have Superman be the bad cop. Mm-hmm. As dark as they like to portray Batman, you know. Well, and that's that's one of the things that I like that I like when they don't have to portray Batman as always being the dark one. Right. So I, I like the sort of change up they have here. But yet Superman's not really portrayed as dark here. He's just like you said, he's he's the stern Mm-hmm. You know. he, he he's the he he's the disapproving father. He's got that <laughs> he's got that look like you know you did wrong. Yeah. And you know I'm going to have to punish you. Yeah. So it works perfectly. Um, page 22. I, I love that they're standing here for a full page having this conversation as the thugs are continuously firing on them and the bullets are just bouncing off Superman's back. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, kind of, it's ridiculous but really fun. Mm-hmm. I lo- And I love the – even though at this point in time in the DC universe his cape was not indestructible, I love the first panel where he holds up the cape to try and deflect the bullets. And yeah. of course, even if the bullets did get through his cape, Superman's fast enough that he could deflect them with his arm. But this is just such a great scene of Superman being uh, essentially a Kryptonian shield mm-hmm. for Batman here. And that, that all the while, you know, they're – the goons are firing at him, but Superman and Batman are just having a sort of polite conversation about what's going on. It's, Oh, I can't stop gushing. This is just amazing. Um, page 23. We have Lex's high tech multi-million dollar robots that have a single button labeled attack mode, (laughs) which doesn't seem very safe. Uh, well, at least you know what they're going to do. So right. I don't, you know, just have it go and attack. Of course, I do love, you know, the fact that Lex is just kind of a spug in there. Oh, wait, Superman's there. Yes. Why? Why he is there. Oh, did my robot zap him? Oh, Oops. sorry. <laughs> sorry. Oopsie. Yeah. <laughs> I think my next note is until page 25. Okay. And go it's ahead. just Superman. Fighting giant robots, never a bad thing. Yeah. So I can't I can't complain. And the thing is, it they give in the story uh, things for both the characters to do. Superman's having to take out these giant uh, robots. Batman's having to take out the thugs. Both characters are doing you know working on the levels that they have to, and it it's it's a perfect. It, it, it's it, it's just so again perfect is the word that I keep mm-hmm. coming back to. It's yep. just great. Yeah, forget Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Give me a movie called Superman and Batman Kick the Crap Out of Robots and Thugs, mm-hmm. and I'll be happy. Oh, yeah, and is it going to the to the next page, to page 26, just the <laughs> image of Superman crashing through a robot and Two. Batman punching the heck out of, like, four different guys. Oh. Two great it, – it's, it's one page, but it's split into two panels, so you get kind of two mini splashes, each one highlighting the character and – very iconic pinup of the, of that particular character doing mm-hmm. what, what they do best. Mm-hmm. It's just oh god. <laughs> uh, page twenty eight. Jumping ahead a little bit. This is really the only nitpick I had about it. And Batman is holding up this device, 
which he says is a receiver that Superman found when he defused the bomb at the banquet. The problem is, Superman didn't defuse the bomb, but he threw mm-hmm. it into the sun mm-hmm. where it exploded. Yeah, and I, now that you mentioned that, yeah, that is a little but, thing. But it's it's the way that you know Batman can relate. You know, maybe maybe he took it apart and. Uh, you know, while he was flying into space and took the transceiver and gave it to Batman for, you know, identification, Maybe. you know, it's off panel ongoings, but. And that, that's it, a very small nitpick. It's just an editing oversight. It doesn't affect how agreed. fun the story is. Agreed. And that's the thing. When you're looking at these books, you know, for a, a podcast like this, you have to find little nitpicks right. in there. Otherwise, you know, we'd just be sitting here going, this is great. This is great. Oh, my God. This is great. So. <laughs> Even though that's essentially what we've been been doing. doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Page 29, I I had to Google it, but Mayor Hill is a character from the DCAU. He he made a few appearances in Batman Animated Series, so I thought that was nice. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think I remember him in – yeah, exactly. I think I do remember him from some of the animated series shows. So I do like on this page. Oh, go ahead. When I Googled, the episode I remembered him most from was – one where I don't remember the title, but the Joker kidnapped the mayor's son at a birthday party. Oh yes, I remember that one. So, um, I like here on page twenty nine. Maybe it's or is it page thirty? I can't. They're not. They're not really numbered at the end. Yeah. But uh, we get the reversal uh, as uh, Lex and Batman shake hands. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the story, it was uh, Luthor who had the uh, strong arm grip and. This time, Batman slash Bruce is just returning the favor, and you know, it's just. And then again, Batman smiling. Yep. It's, oh, it's so good. And then we have the last page, which I which I didn't have any notes on, but you know, it, it's it's good to see them having a friendly conversation mm-hmm. and being friends, which we we've said that before, but I, I really do like seeing them as as friends and brotherly uh, antagonists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, like I said, they they have the same mission statement. Their methods are different. Right. But I don't want to see them constantly at each other's throats. Right. They should be in, in, a, in a perfect world in the DC universe. They should be allies and they should be able to have a good relationship. And this does a great, great job at accentuating that and portraying it really well on this book. Definitely agreed. So if you don't have anything else, I think what we're going to do is take a break, play a couple promos, and then we'll come back for the book's other content because there there is other content in this book and a look at what else was on the stands. All right. This is a job for Superman. Up, Up, and Away, the weekly podcast dedicated to anything and everything Superman. Join me, Mario Benessi, as I explore every aspect of the Man of Steel's history, from comics and movies to TV, radio, and more. It's all here on Up, Up, and Away. For more information, visit upupandawaypodcast.tumblr.com and upupandaway.podomatic.com. On the grounds of Supermate's estates, there stands an ancient crumbling abode. 
This structure is said to contain unimaginable horrors, certain to chill your blood. Dare you enter the House of Frankenstein? Don't tell me of it. I don't want to hear. I've changed my mind. I won't do it. In September and October, join the Baron Franklin Stein and his bride. Woman. Prayer. Yes. I want prayer. For four bone-chilling episodes as they discuss some of your favorite classic horror films. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. My name is Horan. And resurrect and dissect some of the greatest monsters in cinema history. There's an old poem. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolf bane blooms. And the autumn moon is bright. But don't fear, comic fans. This house is full of dusty long boxes containing your favorite superheroes encounters with the supernatural. Oh, vampires, Batman! We're surrounded! Your horror host will unravel a harrowing adventure each episode. Now, Superman, you will feel the bite of Dracula. This house of horrors can be found at www. .supermatescomic.blogspot.com or on iTunes by searching for Supermates. Go quickly. Go! Yes. Yes, I'm going! So, grab your crucifix and wolfsbane, light your candle, and explore the blood-soaked corridors of the House of Frankenstein. We'll be expecting you. Go now. And heaven help you. The meeting adjourned. Unfortunately, the only reprint for this story is a replica edition of the comic that was created for a promotion that was done in, con- in conjunction with Best Western Hotels in the late 90s. Um, I didn't track any of them down, but I remember that there were ads in comics around that time. They had a special deal where kids, if, if their parents stayed at the hotel, the kids could get a free comic or other DC superhero stuff. So, And it's weird. I, I kind of wish that this would get more reprints because it's just a really fun story. And i sorry that we keep saying fun, but... Well, and if anything, you know, a... Like a, I, I don't know the I don't know if DC are doing the Chronicles or doing the uh, it's Marvel that does the Essentials, mm-hmm. but you know them doing like a black and white reprint of like cool. a Parabex work would just be would just be awesome. And you yeah. know doing doing the Batman Adventures in not an Essential, but what is it the Showcase the showcase exactly doing something like that would be awesome because i think i think parabex book you know not that i have anything negative about the coloring in this the color is the coloring is perfectly fine but just see parabex artwork you know in in pen and ink would be nice yeah and he's a strong enough artist that you don't need the coloring because Mm -hmm. it is very simple coloring in line with the animated you know series oh yes so 
but because this is a I don't know if anniversary issue is really correct, but it's a special issue. They've included some pinups in the back uh, by artists such as Alex Toth, Dave Gibbons, Kelly Jones, Kevin Nowlin, Mark Chiarello, Mike Mignola, Matt Wagner, and Chuck Dixon and Rich Burchette. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on these? Um, well, if you want to go through them, I like the Toth one. Uh, you know, it was okay. It was very simplistic you know he had some nice detail in the background uh mm-hmm. i'm thinking going through my notes here uh i'm trying to think of uh, they were all okay there was nothing that really stood out there were a couple of marginal ones i like the dave gibbons one that was very very silver age there yes uh the yeah, kelly oh, sorry go ahead go ahead no i was just going to point out that they're all done in what is kind of a combination of that artist's personal style and the animated style, which <laughs> is a, a little bit odd in some places, but overall, I think they're pretty nice pinups. Yeah, I was going to say the Kelly Jones one is probably one of the more not weird. Well, one of the more the one of the ones that sort of displays that mm-hmm. because the Batman is very much the Kelly Jones Batman with the uh, sort of. Uh, points on the on the uh, shoulders of the cowl or of the shoulders of the cape and the very very pointy batman ears but the characters uh the other characters that are around there the joker and the penguin look very much cold from the uh, tv show yes um the kevin nolan one again you know killer croc i like the coloring on that one yeah that it, it, uh, it gives that sort of uh, murky feel of being down in the middle of the sewer where you would expect killer croc to be uh the Mark Chiarello, I'm not really knowledgeable about what he's done. I wonder why he chose to uh, uh, select Billy Barty as like a character to uh, image the penguin from, but there you go. <laughs> I mean, the ping- I know the penguin is diminutive, but man, he's he's he mid- a little he's short there, yeah. yeah. Um, Mike Mignola, it's obviously a Mike Mignola uh, image here. Mr. Freeze looks like you know, a member of the BRPD, so or BPRD. I don't know what it is, the Bureau of Paranormal. Yeah, the hell. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what the yeah. Um, I love Matt Wagner. He drew a couple. Of, I I know he did Sandman. He's probably most known in DC for the Sandman Mystery Theater. But he drew, I think, around this time, a uh, Legend of the Dark Knight story. Okay. That uh, called faces that I uh, remember pretty fondly, and he does a good job drawing Two Face here. Mm-hmm. And uh, his his style really meshes well with the animated style. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the image of you know uh, Harvey flipping the coin, and we see in the mirror background behind him the coin rising and falling. So it's it's a good composition there. The Chuck Dixon and Rich Rich Burkett or Rick Burchett one. Mm-hmm is probably the one that I'm the least fond of. It looks way too cartoony in a Yeah. It it, it looks almost it looks almost childish. You know Parapex art looks cartoony, but it looks crisp and clean. This looks kind of uh, characters look off. They're you know, uh, their proportions don't look right. The Joker's torso looks too small for his head and his legs look too long. It's just odd. And, you know, I don't know why they're on the, uh, the, uh, you know, battleship that, uh, Shara was doing for her. I'll turn back time, <laughs> uh, whatever. Oh. 
I, I do I do like the uh, Deanie might. I was just getting ready to point that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, the Joker is trying to blow up the Riddler here with uh, not dynamite, but Dini might. Obviously, a reference to Paul Dini. And yeah, overall fun stuff, though. Oh yeah. Um, the letters page talks about obviously nothing we've talked about on this show, but that there is a lengthy note on the letters page that that uh, talks about how the issue is dedicated to Neil Posner, who was a former DC editor who had died earlier that summer due to complications from AIDS. And I don't normally do this, but because we won't be covering any other issues from Batman Adventures, I went ahead and skipped ahead a few issues and looked at the letters page from issue, what is it, uh, 29, which had letters about this issue. And there weren't really any that stood out as far as needing to read them, but there was a lot of good feedback from people that loved the issue, and, and Mike Parabike's art especially. So it's it's good to see that at the time the the issue came off as well as it does today. And well, I think, I'm, I think it still holds up even 20 years later. Oh yeah, this is this is a, a classic story of Batman and Superman teaming up. It, it could it could easily have been a story from the Silver Age out of World's Finest or the Bronze Age out of World's Finest. It's it's just it's fun classic Batman and Superman team up. It's great. Yep. I'm I'm wondering, you know, I think uh, is this the first sort of non-Batman family uh, team up in the animated series? I, I'm assuming it is. You know, I don't think we've had anything with uh, any of the other DC animated characters. You know, because I know, of course, they had to put in, you know, Robin and Nightwing and right. Batgirl, and they've had stuff like that. I don't know if this is the first real animated or not animated, but. Uh, Batman Adventures foray into the rest of the uh, larger DC universe. So. Well, just looking at the covers, I don't see any other superhero guests, and I don't think in the animated series, the proper animated series, that they had started bringing in other DC heroes. Yeah, because from what I remember, DC heroes didn't really start showing up until Superman, the animated series, where they brought in, right. you know, I know they brought in Green Lantern and they brought in The Flash and uh, characters like that. So it wasn't until they started expanding that and then moving on to, to the uh, Justice League uh, animated that uh, we got the expansion of the DC animated uh, universe. I'm looking right now at the Wikipedia list, and I'm not seeing list of episodes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not seeing any other... I know the demon appeared in Batman animated series, but that was later, I think. Mm-hmm. That might have been when they went to the the WB and it was the new adventures right. of Batman and Robin. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, so now it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Well, not everyone's favorite part of the show, probably no one's favorite part of the show, but we're going to head on over to Mike's amazing world of comics at Mike's amazing for a look at what else was on the stands. And the summer of 1994 was zero hour for DC comics. So, the first week is wrapping up the zero issues for part of DC's line, but what all do you see here, Sean? Well, I see Anima, and I'm wondering why that's still being published. But you know, <laughs> that's just oh, and, come on. Uh, oh, and well, and Dark Stars as well. You know, I'm uh, looking at this. I'm still wondering if yeah, Michael Chan Friedman was still writing it. He's a he's a well-regarded science fiction writer. Wrote a lot of Star Trek stuff, but yeah, these were two books that I think were 
Well, first, Anima, she was one of the few characters that spun out of the Bloodline story that mm-hmm. tried to go somewhere but just didn't. It, it's it's the 90s, and that's where it uh, it kind of went downhill. She's one of the only characters that spun out of that, not named Hitman, that actually lasted yeah. any length of time. That's and that's saying something. Yeah. Um, of course, there's the Guy Gardner warrior issue where now, this is the first appearance of the alien look, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is the very first appearance because this is the one where he goes and I think it, I think I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember if this is the one where he's introduced to Dementor, who's sort of his weird uh, Freddy Krueger esque big giant alien brother, or. Uh, it's been so long since I've read this. I should know because I do a podcast. About it. <laughs> but it's a, it's a fun lo- it's a fun cover, and it's by Bo Smith, so right. I can't I can't fault it in any way at all. I like the cover on that Green Arrow issue. Mm-hmm. I think this might be the introduction of uh, Connor to the Green Arrow uh, mythos. I think specifically, uh, I don't know whether he came in in this issue, but I think he came in around this issue. This is where. I think Ollie sort of uh, went off on his own, and uh, this was obviously before he got uh, blown up real good in the right. airplane. But uh, I'm—I th- don't know if this is specifically the first, the introduction of Connor Kent or not Connor Kent, Connor Hawk. <laughs> Connor Hawk, yeah. But uh, I know this is obviously one of the earlier ones of his. I'm googling really quickly here. All right, it is very first appearance, Connor Hawk. Well, there you go. There you go. Um. Like I said earlier, the the only books I was really reading around this time were the four main Superman titles, which were uh, gearing up for Dead Again, which was a, a good storyline that I enjoyed when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've since went back and read Superboy and Steel, and um, I've got the Green Lantern and Justice League issues, and I'm working my way through. Um, yeah, I just don't see a whole lot to, that I've actually read and can talk about. Yeah, the, they do have here that's the first uh, issue of the uh, Dead Again storyline. Um, I'm looking through here. I read the Green Lantern one. You probably podcasted about that too. I probably have. Um, now, this Batman Legends of the Dark Knight number 65, I own that. Sometimes when you buy comics on eBay, the sellers will just throw in like junk comics. Mm-hmm. And this one was thrown in to one of the lots I bought. Now, would you consider it a junk comic or have you read it? I haven't read it yet. Okay, well, you know, it, it got thrown in the box of junk comics that I'll read once I read every other comic I own, which is probably going to be a while. But uh, the only other thing that I notice, and this is because I had to cover it because it was a crossover with Green Lantern, down near the bottom here, we've got Rebels '94, mm-hmm. which was the continuation of the uh, of the abbreviated uh, Legion storyline, the, the L period, E period, right. you know, all that, and. I hate to say this. I don't know if people really enjoyed this, but I thought it was pretty horrible. Uh, the artwork was bad. The story was marginal. Uh, Kyle really wasn't well represented in it, but mm. it was it was uh, it was a crossover. So I kind of felt the need to cover it, and I was kind of kind of resented the fact that I did after I did. So mm. it's by Tom Pyre, who usually is pretty good, but. Maybe he just had an off month. I don't know. Uh, it could have been, but the the artwork in it is just uh, not pleasant to look at. Hmm. Uh, I mean, who did take the, a t- who did the art. 
Arnie uh, Jorgensen. I have no idea who he is, but if you take a look at that cover there, yeah, you can see that well, it's... Well, the cover's by Dave Johnson. Okay. Well, I guess th- that may not be right. Re- it's it's somewhat representative of what goes in the book. The The style isn't that off, so... Oh, I'm looking at some other covers that Jorgensen did, and I can see where there might be some not liking of... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't go too far into... Why are we Why are we focusing on... We just got finished with doing an amazing we book did. by we Parabek. Did. Let's, not, let's not focus on... Did Mike Parabek do anything else this month? Um, trying to think... No, I think he only did this. He, he, had it, the, he had the Batman Annual, which is actually on the list too. The Guy Gardner issue. He did a Legion Annual around this time. So he was doing a lot, but just not a lot to talk about. Yeah, well, and unfortunately, this was around the time where he – now, if I remember right, he had – I can't remember what he passed away. I think he had – I want to say he had diabetes and he wasn't – that sounds correct. He, he wasn't, uh, you know, watching himself, maintaining for it, and that was kind of the reason why he passed away. And you know, he passed away pretty young. He was in his forties, if I recall. And you know, oh, it's it's younger than that. He was like thirty something. Really? Oh yeah. my lord! Yeah, and it's it's he, really he was younger sad. than I am now. Wow! It's and it's really it really is a tragedy because his art is. Is really so iconic and stood out from the typical '90s art, and it was just you know, I I don't know whether you know he was chosen to represent the style of the animated series or what the animated series took from his style, but he's just such an incredible artist and you know, a person who I thought really represented the '90s well. Yeah. So it's I, sad to hear that he left us too soon. I am looking at Mike's Amazing World of Comics, his list of credits, and it looks like his he, – he kept – he has credits through the end of 96, but it looks like his regular output stopped um, right at the end of 94 to the beginning of 95. So mm-hmm. this is pretty much close to that time. Yeah, I remember when I was reviewing the Guy Gardner issue that he was – that he did the sort of uh, – comedic thing in uh that it was just a couple of months after that that he passed away so that's sad well we kind of brought the episode down here at the end, didn't we? <laughs> yeah well there <laughs> there you go that's that's what i do for your show mike uh, that that mike <laughs> i'm looking at mike's amazing world but that's what i do for your show oh. uh but sean I, I do want to thank you very much for coming on for this animated discussion <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh-huh. Uh, but seriously, it's always a blast podcasting with you, even even more so when we can talk about Superman and Batman and the awesome art of Mike Perobeck. So, Oh, definitely. Uh, why don't you tell the folks all the wonderful places they can find you? Well, most of the places you can find me are over at the Two True Freaks website, where I do a show about Green Lantern called Just One of the Guys, and where I'm uh, right now in the middle of or starting up the run of Judd Winnick. And... Uh, it's interesting. It's very different from Ron Mars, but I've been enjoying it so far. Um, I also do a couple other shows over on the Two True Freaks website. I do Walking Dead Wednesday, which is a show where we cover either the TV series The Walking Dead or the comics The Walking Dead. I do a show called Who True Freaks, which is a show about Doctor Who, which I know is completely and totally original to uh, the internet. No one does Doctor Who shows. Um, I, I don't do a Doctor Who show. Well, eventually you will because you're <laughs> if you're podcasting, you're kind of required to do that. Uh, let's see. I also do a new show called Listen to the Prophets where uh, 
let's see, Andrew Leyland and uh, the producer Paul Spataro are getting together with me, and we're covering uh, the uh, Star Trek series Deep Space Nine. I also do uh, the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror over there, where we're covering horror films. And just recently, as uh, you may know of a little, Mike, I uh, do a show called Parallel Lines, uh-huh. which uh, talks about the uh, DC Comics Tangent Universe. And uh, that can be found at greatcrypton.com. I would definitely go uh, tell you to go check that out. Yep. You are getting close to giving Bailey a run for his money, aren't you? I, you know, sometimes I <laughs> I understand why Mike Bailey has to take time off because, uh-huh. yeah, it's it's getting to the it's almost getting to the saturation point with me where it's like, um, yeah, honey, I'll be downstairs in a while. I've got a podcast. <laughs> uh, well, the, the bright side is all the podcasts you do are quality. So, well, thank you very much. I, I I've got to say I really appreciate again you tagging me to do the parallel lines the the tangent books because I've been enjoying those and yes. I know we'll be getting to to more of that here in the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but on this show next time I'll be on my own again and we'll be back in the pages of World's Finest Comics. I know what issue it is but it's going to have to be a surprise when you tune in next episode because you can find out then. Uh, But that's it for this episode. Sean, thanks again. And to the rest of you, as always, thank you very much for joining us, and I will talk to you next time. Goodbye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Superman and Batman. Hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. And both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. This episode's closing music was the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and With a Little Help 
from my friends, both from their 1967 album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. If you'd like to get this song on the album, the best way to do that is to head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner. Pick up a CD, digital download, or pretty much anything else your heart desires, and Two True Freaks gets a little cut from every purchase. It won't cost you anything extra, but does help ensure a steady stream of fine Two True Freaks-related podcasts, including those produced by this episode's guest host, Sean Engel. So, next time you need to make a purchase from Amazon, be sure to click the link at Two True Freaks. <laughs>